0: Yeah, I do want to reiterate, it'd be awesome for you guys to stick around for the barbecue. It should be a great time. Uh, So we'll be in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. This week I was thinking about how when a baby is born, it's so dependent upon its parents for everything, for survival and it is amazing how helpless a baby is that it can't wash itself, feed itself uh, I mean forget crawling or walking for the first few couple months it can't a baby can't even properly lift its own head it's uh It's months before a child can properly use their eyes to focus and and we take these little milestones on board We're like oh, you know, first steps and can dress himself or switch on the lights by himself or. Um, and you go from learning to walk across the street safely to driving on those streets in traffic and just the development over time. And, you know, the small kid who's hiding behind his parents when there's a new person becomes embarrassed of those parents when reaches adolescence and really doesn't want to be around them in public. Um, that doesn't always happen. But as kids grow, they become more independent and self-assured and confident. And and uh, then they leave the home and can become parents themselves. And, And this is really the natural way that a child becomes less dependent on their parents as they grow and mature. But as children of God, it's actually the opposite. As we grow and mature, we learn to be more dependent upon Him. Because we were apart from God. We were away from God completely, separated from Him. But once we've been born again and brought into his family, we learn to be more and more dependent, looking to him for protection and pro- providing wisdom and guidance every day. So our spiritual maturity it will correspond with dependence on God and obedience. And uh, that's what we'll be talking about today. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us to be your children, that you have offered an invitation to anyone who will come, that they can be born again, they can be made new and have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with your Spirit even now to understand your Word, to be able to apply it to our lives and to walk faithfully in the way that you want us to. Lord, as we navigate through this life, help us to become more dependent upon you, not other people or ourselves, not our experience, not not our perceived strengths, but Lord, we would find our strength in you alone. And so I pray that you would minister to us as we read your word, to the kids as well as they gather. Lord, in our fellowship today, may it be sweet and bring honor to you and be delightful for every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this letter in 1 John, he often refers to the recipients of the letter who were Christians as little children. Over and over, he says, little children. And when we introduce someone or are speaking to a dignitary, we would use uh, honorable titles like sir or madam or doctor to show respect, to, to acknowledge their position. And it's interesting to be called a little child. How does that strike you if someone walked up to you and called you little child? It would be a bit strange, but it really serves a twofold purpose here. Because it reminds us that we have a Heavenly Father, no matter how old we are. We have a Heavenly Father who is, who loves us, who has given everything for us, and that no matter what our earthly station is, we remain little children. That's how we really are in truth, that we are unable to do things of ourselves. And without Jesus, we can't do anything. But through Him, we can do all things, and so maintaining that perspective like little children, we can be prone to saying, I know, when we really don't know. And I'll do that when we can't do that. Where a child begins to think that they can do things, and there are things that they can do. But we can also do the same thing as a child of God and say, Oh, I'll do this. I got this covered. And, and we don't. And we need discipline when we've done the equivalent of stealing a biscuit, and we've lied about it afterhand afterwards and we need correction when we imagine we're doing something great and productive for god when we're really the equivalent of a kid in the pantry who's pulled out all the flour and sugar and is making a mess everywhere we need him to step in and to correct us and and put us on the right path again and uh, it's it's wonderful to have a wise powerful gracious and patient heavenly father who sees us in our weaknesses And he still loves us. He still calls us his own. He won't leave or forsake us or reject us because we haven't uh, been a good boy or girl. Praise the Lord for his presence. So 1 John 2, starting in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. The section of of Scripture begins with John saying, I've written these things to you that you sin not. He wants to keep God's people from sin. And he's reminding them now that time is short. It is the last hour, he says. If you knew you only had one hour left to live, how might that change your perspective of things? The last hour. We've had many hours up until now, but if you were in your last hour, how would that change things? And he says the Antichrist, with the capital A there, it's described in the Bible as a world leader whose arrival remains yet future. But in John's day, he says many Antichrists have come, with the little a. So they're in the same, they're really almost, they're coming and opposing God and speaking contrary to God are a predecessor of the Antichrist who is coming. So he says, by this we know it's the last hour. We're in the last hour because these who oppose Christ have come. They, the little Antichrists, they're the main uh, focus of this passage we know that the antichrist daniel and jesus refer to in the latter days will come proclaiming peace he'll be a world leader who will receive power from satan he will desecrate the temple and demand worship as god that has not happened yet we haven't seen the fulfillment but we have and are seeing the fulfillment of these uh many little antichrists so the word anti it means to be against or opposite So an antichrist is one who opposes Christ. It's opposite of Christ. And another implication of anti is that it's instead of, which is a substitute offered as an equivalent. So the antichrist will try to replace the true Christ, will put himself out there as the alternative. And in John's day and in our day, these these subtle antichrists, they oppose the teaching of Jesus, they oppose the revelation of Scripture, and it, they substitute the wisdom of man and even fables for the wisdom of God. So they're not following Christ's example, but they claim to follow Christ. They claim to know God, so very deceptive. Because they claim to speak the truth. They claim to have a revelation from God, but it, they're actually drawing people away from Christ, away from God. And it's important to realize these antichrists were not from the outside of the church and barging their way in. They actually started in the church, but then they went out. They went out and drew people to themselves. So they were people who were raised up within the church who drew people away from Christ, operating under the guise of godliness. So John says the antichrist went out from the apostles but they were not of them. Their true colors came to light. They were not cut from the same cloth. They didn't have the same loyalty and allegiance to God's word. They weren't willing to remain in fellowship or to submit to the authority of the church. And uh, those are hallmarks of the Christian faith. There is great diversity in the body of Christ. But, uh, Our faith in Christ, our love for one another, our adherence to scriptures, that is what unites us, people of different cultures and backgrounds. And just like the Antichrist in the future will maintain this facade of righteousness and goodness, but the mask will come off and people will see what he's really about. So these Antichrists that John's speaking about, they would reveal themselves. The truth would come out because of the things they say and the things they do. They were wolves that slipped in among the flock of God with the intent to steal, kill, and destroy. And they were deceived. The early church, it speaks of people continuing in the apostles' doctrine, in the teachings that were once delivered to the saints through Scripture. And if there were controversies, which there were, how did they deal with them? They gathered together in the book of Acts, and they began to discuss and pray about what steps they should take moving forward together in unity. And there were a lot of heresies that opposed Christ, which cropped up right when the church began. Some of the ones we read in the Bible, it's the denial of the bodily resurrection of Christ. They said, well, he really didn't die, or he really didn't raise from the dead. He just appeared to raise from the dead. Or uh, that Christians need to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Also that Jesus did not have a physical body. He just looked like he had a physical body. And then there was a claim of new revel- revelations, secret, uh, revelation from God that was on par or actually more important than the Bible. So how could John be so sure that these, that he could tell an antichrist or someone who opposed Christ from someone who was loyal to him? And if you could turn to 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 2, he lays out a really basic test so we can know. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 2. It says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, Antichrists were outed by their refusal to heed the scriptures. They would not receive the instruction of John or the other faithful believers. And it says, the Antichrists speak as the world. They appeal to the world and they appeal to worldly people. And those are the people that will come after them. So, a spirit that is contrary to Christ cannot abide with him. What fellowship does light have with darkness? John, they were walking in the light. There were other people who were not keen to walk in that light because they were not of the light, and so therefore they left and exposed them for what they were. Christianity hasn't established orthodoxy by the Scriptures. We can know truth from error because we have the Bible. God's given it to us, and He does not change. He will not read... Because the Holy Spirit has inspired the Word... The Holy Spirit will not give a revelation contrary to the word. So if we must be aware of those who, have, who claim to have new revelations from God or experiences that contradict what the Bible has said. That is our standard. So back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John affirms that those who followed Christ and were born again, they have the Spirit of God. They had the one who would comfort and teach and guide them into all truth. And we have the Holy Spirit within us who tells us, he reveals to us when teaching is off, when it's not true, according to the scripture. When you eat, there's a basic discernment process that we go through. I'll use the example of leftovers, for instance. You think about how long they've been there, right? That, that goes through our mind. And... Uh, First, when we pull it out of the, the container, we look at it. The visual inspection. If it's a bit slimy or fuzzy or uh, looks bad, we won't eat it. Now, sometimes we're not quite sure. We have to take a closer look, right? We start examining it closely. Have you ever taken it and gone, okay, am, am I seeing something there? I'm mm, kind of not sure, but I'm really hungry. And this was really good. Uh, I ate it yesterday, and I, I feel fine today. So there's all this processing that we go through. Now sometimes, food or drink that's off may actually make it all the way into our mouths. And then we have a choice if I'm going to just spit it out or if I'm going to just take a chance. Um, I don't recommend taking a chance. Um, it happened to me with a uh, jam-filled donut once. I remember going to work, and and uh, I was new on the job site. So all the new guys, you had to bring donuts. So it was another guy's day. And uh, so jam-filled donuts looked good, smelled good, put it in my mouth, chewed down the thing. And uh, you know when the jam is just like tingling your tongue? I was like, whoa, this has some zip to it. That was not what I expected. And so my first reaction was to go to the guy that bought the donuts, and I said, where did you get these donuts? And he was a bit offended that I would even question these donuts and and it came out that he was a bit sheepish he's like well you know I did buy them at the day old donut shop and I'm like oh right trying to save a few bucks and uh, you need to try one of these so finally I get him to try it and he came clean he's like yeah these are off I won't go there again so he we had this process that we went through where I tasted it it was bad I thought it was bad, but I double-checked, and he agreed it was bad. And so we, we need to have that same approach to Bible teaching. Don't, don't just swallow whatever a pastor or someone who claims to have authority concerning the Scriptures says. Look at the claims in light of Scripture. Does it balance with other things that have been said in the Bible? Examine it closely. See if there's any historical background for this belief or interpretation that that seems a bit out of left field. Prayerfully consider if it's good for consumption, if it's a good thing to place my faith in, and talk to other believers. And that's why being in fellowship is so important. Because since we have the Holy Spirit, we'll be in agreement about what the scriptures say. I want to eat food that's been well-prepared, good ingredients in a clean kitchen. Now, if the preacher is living in rebellion against God, he refuses to be under authority, well, then that's not really a good source. If he has felt like, I've got to do my own thing, is so spiritual that he can't be corrected, or can not uh, he's unwilling to be in fellowship with other believers, well, then that should... Just be a red flag that makes me think, hmm, is this really good for me? And then to lovingly come alongside. And because we don't, because we want to see people walking with the Lord, we encourage them and exhort them to consider what the Scriptures say. So um, John's writing to believers who had the Holy Spirit. He's not questioning their salvation. He's saying, you guys, you know the truth. That's why I'm writing to you. And this word in verse 20, it's not ginosko, which means to know by experience. We see that word throughout this chapter, but um, that's not the word used here. The word here is to be aware of or to consider or to perceive with the eyes. He's like, you guys, you've seen it, you perceive it, but I want you to know it. See, he wrote, and you think, well, if they already know all things, remember, it's not Gnosko no. know. It's like they perceived it or they've seen it. But he says, I've written you because you've seen it, um, but we need to be reminded. You might think, well, it doesn't make sense that he's writing to people who already know the truth, right? But it's very different, you'd agree, about knowing the symptoms of a heart attack and actually having a heart attack yourself. There's so many people that have heart disease or heart attack, and they may have been aware of the symptoms, but they don't put it together with their own experience. And that's what he's wanting to do. He's saying, I want you to understand and put this in your own experience. You may have not experienced this yet, but be aware of it. I want you to know. We need reminders. We need to know the warning signs so that we can say, oh, well, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. There are people who are departing from the faith. We need to be vigilant and continue in the scripture. And he says here that anyone who denies the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God, is of the spirit of Antichrist, that they're a liar if they say they know God, but Jesus was never really a man. Jesus was a man, but not really God. That, those are his words. He says it very strongly. It's impossible to have God as your father unless you receive Jesus Christ as Lord Savior and God. And that is a hallmark of many that draw people away from Christ. A lot of false religions, they will have Jesus as a guru. They will have him as a prophet. They will not have him as God. So we must have him as God. And if we have Jesus as God, we also have the Father as God. So God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're one And to deny their divinity is to reject the clear teaching of Scripture. Verse 24, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Because the spirit of Antichrist was already at work in the world, people needed to hold fast to the gospel that was once delivered to them. The truth from the beginning they didn't need to know any secret or, or new revelations to know that they have salvation that was given through Christ. Paul, it says, he marveled that the believers in Galatia, they departed so quickly from the simplicity of the gospel to follow after the lure of legalism. They were taught that, oh well, you know, Paul may have said those things, but we have the real story if you really want to know God, if you really want to be spiritual, then you have to do these things. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law of Moses. We're God's children, but we're not called to be childish, impressionable, easily influenced, gullible. When I was a kid, I remember being warned about people that would come to schools and they'd see your name on your books or on your backpack and they would call you by name and say, Oh, your your mother told me to pick you up from school today. Or they would use candy or say, Oh, I, I'm new. I need, you to, I need you to show me how to get to this place. And many children um, climbed willingly into cars and were never seen again. So that was something impressed upon me at an early age. You don't take things from strangers. You don't go with them. Even if they know your name or seem to have some information, don't be gullible. Don't go with people you don't know. You know, stranger danger type thing. Now this was happening in the church and people were falling for it because they were not anchored in the truth of God's word. Ephesians 4.14, it says, We should not be like children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, some slight of hand some spiritual uh, maneuvering, and they're like dazzled. Wow! And they lose sight of the basics of Christianity and what made them saved and have the Spirit of God in the first place. If the truth of the gospel abides in us, we, have, we abide in the Son, it says, and in the Father. Now, if we abandon the truth of Scripture, we are easy prey and we are led into error, no matter how much you know. The stakes are infinitely high because the scriptures say that the promise of eternal life hinges upon it. Very important that we follow good doctrine. And I like what McGee says on the subject. He says, I believe in the security of believers, but I also believe in the insecurity of make-believers. We need to examine ourselves to see what kind of believer we really are. See, no one, no one can snatch us out of God's hand, but we can be tricked to wander out of his hand. We can go our own way. It's good to know there's deceivers in the world, but we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to obsess over where the deceptions might come from. We shouldn't be suspicious of everyone. It's like if you're concerned about heart disease, learn how to promote heart health, and then you put into practice what you've learned. It's really about your choices. It's not about everybody else. Because, yeah, there's deceivers out there. But are you a deceived one? So we need to be grounded in the Scripture. And the way we stay on track is to, to know and to follow the Word of God and to be in close relationships with other Christians who also are following God. And we can do that together, supporting one another. Knowing that Satan looks to take advantage of us should keep us vigilant and watchful. It's like when I travel to Cambodia. I take special precautions that I don't normally take when I'm just out and about in Sydney. When I go through the Rouse Hill shops, I don't wear my backpack on my stomach. okay? But if I'm going through the Russian markets, I will put it in front of me because the area is narrow and people can access your bag from behind and take all your valuables. I don't leave my valuables in my hotel room when I leave my hotel room. I bring them with me because who knows who's in my room. Um, I don't drink water from the taps. I don't even use tap water to brush my teeth. Number one, I've been sick off that water before. And number two, um, I want to remain healthy. So if I'm going to take such care to protect my belongings, my valuables, and my health, shouldn't we ensure that our spiritual food and drink hasn't been tampered with? We need to measure it according to the Scripture. And if there's sin in my life, if there's unbelief or rebellion or pride or fear or worry, I give Satan an opportunity to deceive me, and I can be led into error. So we have to walk God's way. 1 John 2 verse 26 These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you will abide in him. When I grew up in the church in the 80s there was a lot of talk about the Antichrist. Uh, the mark of the beast, the threat of nuclear war, the rapture. And I think a lot of preachers use these platforms to to try to rattle people's cage a bit to get them to repent. Uh, instead of using the law to reveal the need of a Christian or a person, a sinner, to uh, repent and be born again, um, people used The fear of being left behind or the fear of the coming great tribulation as reasons to go to Jesus. Now, from early in the church, even till now, there's those who would use fear to try to motivate or manipulate us, whether it's the fear of losing salvation or um, the fear of an uncertain future, fear of anything but the fear of God to um, move people to take action. Paul, what did he preach? He preached righteousness he preached the law and he preached the judgment to come and it says that people trembled when they thought about it like when he talked to uh was it festus he talked to one of the leaders and the guy says well all right this is hitting me pretty hard we'll talk about this some other time paul went and he people were born again people were genuinely saved they had the holy spirit within them they had the assurance of salvation, but it's like Paul would leave and these new teachers would come in and go, oh yeah, we've heard about Paul. Kind of looking sympathetically at them. I can just imagine it happening and saying, yeah, we've heard of that guy. Unfortunately, he's only half right. You can only be saved if you believe in Christ the Savior and keep the law of Moses. And so people were really rattled. They were a bit afraid that, oh man, maybe he only had it half right. And they went astray and they began to look to these new super spiritual teachers to tell them what they had to do to be saved when they already had salvation in the first place through jesus christ and the gospel so he says you're a believer you affirm that jesus christ is god you've repented you are born again you have the spirit you have eternal life you don't need to be unsettled when someone makes strange claims when they try to deceive you or try to make you feel fearful about the future you are assured of eternal life period if we receive the gospel there was no secret knowledge they needed to have eternal life or to grow in faith there was no hoops to jump through to prove to god that they were genuine and the in verse 27 it says the holy spirit can teach us about all things listen to what jesus says in john chapter 16 12 through 15 he says Jesus as your Savior. And you're born again. You have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be born again without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is who regenerates you. He's the one who makes you alive to God. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them, within you. And God's given gifted people to teach, yet our dependence is to be taught. Dependence should be upon God to teach us, that we need Him to illuminate the truth of scripture men will lie the holy spirit will never lie men can be filled with contradictions but the holy spirit will not contradict what the scriptures have said we can know truth Mary, because the holy spirit will guide us into all truth 1 john 2 28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Here he addresses his readers as little children again. And he says, abide in him. That's a word that we've seen repeated again and again in these last handful of verses. Abide, abide. Something we're to do. And he says, if you let that gospel truth abide in you, which you had from the beginning... This will enable you to abide in the Son and the Father. So the anointing of the Spirit, which is in all Christians, who teaches us, enables us to abide in Him. Now, in verse 28, John reminds believers of Christ's return. And those who abide in Him will have confidence without shame. Jesus told a lot of parables about a master or a ruler who had servants and he gave them things to do and he left for a while. They didn't know exactly when he was coming back. And that's really a picture of Jesus. Well, he's given us talents and gifts and abilities, he's left for a while, but he's coming back. And we don't want to be ashamed at his appearing. And when in the parables, when the master returned, he always talked to each one of his servants. And saw how things went. Were they profitable? Did they use the talents to uh, get increase? And if they had uh, used God's things wisely or the master's things wisely, they received reward for it. Now when I was uh, responsible to run a crew of workers on naval contracts in the dockyards, I was really glad to talk about profitable jobs. I, I was happy when I could report, yes, we have a 55% profit margin on that job, and it's done. That was always really fun to talk about. Then there was those other jobs where things weren't, weren't going quite as well. We were a bit in the red. Um, but you have to take responsibility for both, right? I can't say, well, I'll take that big profit margin and put my name next to it, but look, I've got these other three jobs that, that I'm really falling down on. I haven't managed them as well as I should. Um, My dad told me a story. He said, uh, one day his boss, he used to work as a carpenter. He still does. But, uh, he was told, hey, when you guys finish this box of nails, you can go home for the day. And, uh, so the boys look at each other and are like, oh, that's good. You know, we can finish that. So one lad has the bright idea after the boss drives away. He's like, hey, we're right next to the bush. How about I just chuck these? And so he's, uh, He's got the box like this, and uh, the boss forgot something and comes back, and he sees the guy go, Ugh! and just chuck them all into the bush. Now, was that a good reunion when the boss came back and he saw the guy throwing all the nails into the bush because he wants to go home early, wasting the the resources of the company? No, that was not a good time. Uh, so he spent the rest of the day, instead of going out early, picking up every nail from that box and putting it in the box. And uh, that's a bad reunion. I don't want to have one of those moments. Has something like that ever happened to you? Where you're like, whoops, not ideal. I would say that was an unexpected and shameful reunion for that man. I would rather be the one who's on task, who says, you know what? I had nothing to do with that. It's like, don't worry. I know I know what's going on. I'm not a fool. I I knew, I know what was happening all along. See, God knows. He knows if we're the ones who will waste his goods or we'll use them wisely. So let's be those who are about his business, who use his stuff for his glory, to bring profit for his name, not for ourselves, that will waste what he's given us because... I want to, it's about me. I want to go home early. Verse 29, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So the worker who threw all the box of, you know, um, kilos of nails into the bush, he was not loyal to his boss because of what he did. It was evident that he was not a trustworthy employee. He's not someone you would want to run work for you because he was very happy to to throw the things aside so he could leave. The trustworthy employees were those who remained on task when the boss was away. When he had his back turned, were actually on task. And in a similar way, those who really know a righteous God, those who are born of him, will live righteously. They will seek to do the things that please God, because they love him, because they are born of him. They have a new nature their their way of thinking and their way of their attitudes and their their dealings and their responses to sin, become more and more resembling those of the Father, because we have His Spirit within us. So if we have genuine faith, we will obey God. We will seek to do righteously. I like what McGee says again. He says the law said if a man do he shall live. But grace says the opposite. If a man live, he will do. That is, a man must have life from God before he can live for God. So because we live, we do. Because we've been born again, we do choose to do what's right. Because we love God. It's not just a list of rules we feel compelled to follow. So, children of God will abide in him. The question is then, how can I know if I'm abiding in Him? So let's go to John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Abiding is more than faith. It's more than repentance. It's more than conversion. It's more than knowledge, as we'll see. Those things are included in those who abide, but it's bigger than that. John chapter 15 Starting in verse 1, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus uses this picture that people would have understood. Hopefully we understand it as well of the branches connected to a vine. The vine is coming out of the ground and the little branches that come off they are where the leaves and the fruit are. And there's a sense of being one. There's no like it's one continuous vine, right? The branches, there's no division there. They're completely connected. It's really one plant. And there's this unbroken connection that you see between the fruitful branch and the vine that supplies the nutrients for the fruit to grow. Right? That makes sense? Just like roots, the trunk, the branches, the leaves, are all connected as one for the good of the whole tree. So Jesus and all his followers were united in one body. Just like my hand is connected to my arm, which is connected to my shoulder, which is getting uh, the blood flow from the heart. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. If we are a disciple of Christ, we will be fruitful for Christ because we are connected to Him. He is our source of life. It's faith and obedience that causes us to be fruitful. There will be believers and there will be make believers. And he says, "The make-believers, those who pretend they are of me, those who put on a show, I know that they're not mine, and they'll be cut off in the end, in judgment. Their deeds show that they're not of me." Have you ever had a -- I think I showed a, a picture a few years ago of a lemon tree that was in our backyard where there was this root stalk, and there was a tree grafted in, a, a lemon tree. That was fruitful. But if there were tap, the, those little shoots that came up from below the graft, those were fruitless and they had uh, thorns on them. Totally different plant. So those would be cut off. They're not going to be fruitful. They're, they're clearly from the original um, rootstock. The flesh is a picture of. So if we're of Christ, we will bear fruit like Christ. Now, we see spelled out the answer to the question. How do we know if we're abiding in Christ? Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I have loved, also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, As I have loved you. So he spells it out for us. If we weren't exactly sure, now we know what he means when he says, Abide in me. When we abide in Jesus and in his love, we keep his commandments. And what is his commandment? That we love one another as he loves us. True children will continue in that, being the servant of all, keeping his example by having our lives marked in love. And I wanted to read just a description of what his love looks like and see if this love is in you. If this love, is, it comes to you naturally, which it doesn't for anyone, but do you have this love within you? In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's love is always patient and kind. It's not marked by envy of other people. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude or selfish. It's not exasperated or frustrated. It's not suspicious of others and will not hold a grudge. God's love, it does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in truth. God's love can handle everything. It's fully committed. It's always expectant of God to do good and will outlast everything. God's love is absolute, eternal, gracious, It's given out of his goodness, not our worthiness. And it's not withdrawn because of poor performance. God's love never fails. And it's extended freely to us all. So John, he tells his readers, it's the last hour. And for us, much time has passed since those words were penned. For us, it may be we are in the last minutes. And who can say how much time we have left on this earth? Jesus knew his hour had come. And it would be good for us to realize that our hour has come. Our hour to walk in His love. Because night is coming when no one can work. When my dreams will perish with me. And I will return to the earth and go to my Father in heaven. So we're commanded to abide in His love so that God's love will remain in us and that our joy may be full. If you're not experiencing fullness of joy this morning... It's because you haven't been walking in the love of God. Because if we walk in the love of God, our joy will be full. That's why Jesus gave these commands in John 15. So we can look at our lives and say, "Does, does the love in my life reflect that which I read in 1 Corinthians 13? Is that true for me, really? And if not, let's repent and let's decide that I want to love like God does. Having received such love, I want to love others too. We have to receive the love of God before we can abide in his love, right? So brothers and sisters, let us love one another like that. And when the love of Jesus is revealed in our lives, we can know we're his children. If I could invite the worship team to come up, we will uh, close with some songs. Sometimes love can be a bit of an arbitrary thing. It, it's like abiding, right? It doesn't, it's maybe not as concrete as my mind prefers. I, I'm a really concrete thinker. I like to have a uh, clear direction. And Jesus supplies that for us. The Holy Spirit who lives within us, he will guide us into all truth and he'll help us to discern truth from error. Just like you would trust your senses of, of sight, smell, and taste to discern if there's food that you should eat. Well, we can discern how to show God's love to others if we'll seek to do so. So we can have all confidence that through God we can love like he has asked us to, as he's commanded, and through that we can have fullness of joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that you have given us through Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness. And thank you that you've given us the ability through the Holy Spirit and your word to discern the truth from error, to know your love when we see it. And Lord, we desire that your love would be more on display in each one of our lives. We thank you that your love is real and powerful and it's exactly what we need to be forgiven and accepted by you to be adopted into your family. Lord, we rejoice for all the good you've done to us. And I pray that your goodness would be seen as we love one another. I thank you, Lord, for our family here in at Calvary Chapel, Sydney. And and Lord, I pray for the body of Christ throughout the whole world that we would love one another as you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.